0: Hi everyone. It's me, Jinx Monsoon. I am just getting off my tour and prepping for my upcoming holiday show with DeLa. So this week's episode is an episode that you may have already heard, but it has new meaning now that they are the winner of All Stars 8. This is my conversation with Jimbo. We will be back with new episodes in two weeks. So buckle up, hunker down, and sink your teeth into this jimbo-filled episode of Hi Jinx. Hello everyone, I'm Jinx Monsoon and welcome to a brand new episode of Hi Jinx with Me. Jinx Monsoon. Today my guest is Jimbo the Drag Clown from Canada's Drag Race as well as RuPaul's Drag Race UK versus the world. She is a fascinating, lovely, hilarious performer. And we're going to talk all about turning trauma into drama. (laughs) Um, We we find the many ways in which our very distinct stories overlap with each other. And she tells me a little bit about being a stepdaddy to teenagers. I can't even, uh, nothing, there's no, I want to skip, if I ever have kids, someone else can have them for the teenage years. (laughs) So hunker down, sink your teeth into your seatbelt and buckle up and get ready and uh, put on some mascara for some brand new hijinks. (laughs) M. Oh, Mom! Hello everyone, I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to Hi Jinx, a podcast where I, an internationally tolerated drag superstar, get to interview compelling and fascinating people about how they became who they are and why they do what they do. Today we are joined by costume designer and drag clown who has a love of her own big breasts. It's Jimbo the drag clown. Hi Jimbo. Hi, Jinx. (laughs) Will you tell our listeners where you are right now? Because you have a beautiful setting behind you. And I never would have
1: guessed. (laughs) I am sitting in Soho in the UK in Bag of Chips' beautiful penthouse. And it's gorgeous here. The furniture is expensive. It has a coating on it, so I can't stain it. And it's beautiful here.
0: Now... I have spent a lot of time in the UK and I have heard that there are beautiful apartments, but I've
1: never seen one myself. <laughs> well, you need to have your one night stands with more expensive people.
0: <laughs> Listen, um, they come to the hotel room because I can't be bothered to, <laughs> to, to, to travel. Um, I like that door
1: open asset. that. <laughs>
0: I, 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 um, I'm actually quite vanilla for someone who talks a lot about being a slut. Um, I, I call myself French vanilla, um, like vanilla, but with just a little, a little something extra <laughs>
1: is a, va- yeah.
0: is a vanilla slut a thing? Cause it should Um, be. I,
1: lo- <laughs> yeah, I do. I do love a vanilla slut, you know, it's. <laughs> Nice and tame, extra creamy, sometimes a little <laughs> bit frothy.
0: <laughs> now, um, first and foremost, we know you from not one, but two seasons of RuPaul's Drag Race. RuPaul's Drag well, Drag Race Canada, Canada's Drag Race. Sorry, sorry. Yes. But then um, also RuPaul's uh, Drag Race UK versus the
1: world. Most recently. Rolls off the tongue. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the longest title ever.
0: (laughs) How did the two seasons compare to one another?
1: Well, I would say that, you know, being a Canadian and looking up to our sort of bigger sisters, the RuPaul's Drag Race franchise in the States, the iconic franchise. It was um, a long-time dream to somehow participate and compete. And so when Canada's Drag Race came along, it was our first opportunity as Canadians to be a part of the franchise and to really showcase our drag in Canada on the world stage. Um, And none of us really knew at the time of casting whether or not RuPaul would be there, who's going to judge, and so so as a, you know, a huge fan of Rue and um, a huge fan of the show, I obviously really wanted Rue Paul to be there. But it was Brooklyn Heights, who is an icon and a beauty and an incredible drag performer as well. So that was so cool. And so the main difference for me personally was going to RuPaul's Drag Race UK versus the world. I actually got to be critiqued and judged and in the presence of my icon, RuPaul. And so that was sort of the biggest um, difference in terms of the energy in the room. And um, that was really incredible.
0: Yeah. RuPaul's presence does make a, a big difference to the energy in the room. <laughs> Oh, yeah, for sure. (laughs) Um, On uh, both seasons I've participated in, um, it's like, uh, I don't know anything about the Canadian school system. But occasionally, you know, the teacher would leave the room and everyone would behave like how you Mm -hmm. behave when the teacher leaves the room. And then... (laughs) And then they come back in, and everyone snaps back to how they're supposed to be behaving. Um, It was like that, but the ratio was backwards. You know, we spent most of the time alone, and every once in a while, the teacher came to check in on us, and we all pretended we were good little girls. Um, (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. I have to comment on your Jedward hairstyle. Um, (laughs) I only bring it up because my husband was making me watch Jedward videos last night for whatever reason. Um, Do you, are you familiar? Who the hell
1: is Jedward?
0: (laughs) Uh, It's, I
1: have no idea who that, that
0: is. They are a twin singing duo who have been on basically every reality TV singing competition imaginable. Um, they're twin, uh, twin boys... I don't know. They're probably my age. I don't know why I'm calling them boys. But um, I think they're Irish. Their names are John and Edward, but they go by Jedward together. And they have basically your exact hairstyle. Um, Okay. They've competed on, um, you know, I don't know, X Factor, The Voice, and all those. And then eventually they were on Eurovision, and it's – it's quite captivating watching them on Eurovision. It's like a parody of Eurovision, but I am learning that that's what Eurovision is. It's like a parody say, of yeah, itself.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's such a wild show. I wish we had some sort of Eurovision in North America because it's just so wild what those acts come up with. But I'm going to check out this Jedward duo. They sound very handsome. <laughs> the- <laughs> They
0: um were on Graham Norton with Sarah Jessica Parker and Joan Rivers. And Whoa. they were they were doing that twin thing where they kind of like one starts a sentence and the other one finishes it and they were talking back and forth and they, mm. you know, they seemed like bunny rabbits on meth, um, just like bouncing off of each other. And um eventually Graham Norton just said, What do you think, Joan Rivers? And she just went, <laughs> like, she <laughs> she basically didn't speak the whole time because she was just having a hard time um, taking it all in. Uh, <laughs> and for that, as a brilliant segue um, to Joan Rivers, you, of course, won Snatch Game as Joan Rivers.
1: Um, oh, that's right. I love doing a little <laughs> bit of Joan goddamn Rivers. Can we talk, Jinx? <laughs> Have you seen Joan perform live? I have not. Just on the internet. I have I never was fortunate enough to um be in her actual presence. Yeah. What about um, you?
0: I have, but I'm wondering if you need to answer Baga's phone back
1: then. <laughs> oh, can you hear that? <laughs>
0: just a little bit. I'm just if, teasing. You should answer it as Baga.
1: Amy did it.
0: amy got it. <laughs> Let's um, take it from the
1: top. Or are we going to put that in there? Oh, we, we, we'll oh. do warts and all.
0: Um, <laughs> I did um, see Joan Rivers perform live just once. Um, there was a time when... Um, Her and I were both performing at the Lori Beachman Theater in New York, and she had the 7 o'clock show, and we had the 9 o'clock show. So, like, two ships in the night, we would pass each other once a week, and she was very, very kind. She'd get on stage and just say the foulest, most filthy things, um, just... You know, uh, Bianca del Rio levels of hatred towards humanity. And then she would step off stage, and then she was just someone's grandma. You know, Uh, she would just talk about her grandkids and what she did. Give you
1: a Werther's.
0: Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and she would complain about sunburn on her hands because she had taken, take, taken, taken. She took the grandkids out on a boat or something. And she's like, oh, look at my hands. Oh, I'm so sunburned. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I got to meet her just shortly before her her passing, which, of course. Her murder. Um, yeah. I mean, her her negligent passing it was it was it was really hard to take in that whole story and um oh my
1: god yeah that story is devastating and especially because they took selfies with her as she was passing uh, like i'm like it was so twisted like i can't even believe that story but i'm so grateful that you got to meet her and be in the same theater as her because that is so incredible i'm like i'm amazing
0: well um Uh, What started your love for Joan Rivers? I have to imagine you hold a place of reverence for her in your life. Um, Where did it begin? I
1: I think it began, she has like this like air of glamour, but she's also like very like real and filthy and honest. Mm -hmm. And so I think there was something about um, the way it was put on at the same time as being true. And I love the way that she sort of made up all of these connections to celebrities. And she kind of had this, um, this running joke about celebrity and her own celebrity at the same time as being a huge celebrity. And so it was this, mm. just this really amazing way to laugh at herself and laugh at the world and present it in this really, um, Sort of different way, which could be sometimes off putting and at the same time kind of shocking and at the same time somehow acceptable. And so there was, she played this like really amazing line between like glamour and kind of filthiness and being totally offside and somehow being totally lovable. And I I loved it.
0: Yeah. She, she was, you know, one of those enigmatic, one of a kind people that only we don't have. Who, who who we don't have another Joan Rivers now, you no. know. Maybe no. if Fran Drescher started playing a lot more blue, um, she could evolve <laughs> into a Joan she Rivers. <laughs> she need more plastic surgery though. <laughs> um, I. I it's, you know, you said you've never seen her perform live. I don't think that's crucial to doing a good snatch game, do you? Because uh, drag queens learn so much of what we know through media, you know? Um, I certainly never saw Judy Garland perform live, but thanks to YouTube and and DVDs back in the day and
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, that's, VHSs. and the
1: energy... Mm -hmm. And the energy I feel of the universe, I feel like once once you sort of feel a kinship to somebody, there's this weird ability to um, somehow channel them, which is like part magic, I feel like, where it's inexplainable. And so it's this collective unconscious and you are just this incredible example of how you're able to embody and then extend your understanding of a character in this unexplainable way <laughs> that I thought was just so incredible and so beautiful. Oh,
0: well, thank you, Jimbo. But we're not talking about me. We're talking about you, darling. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about me in due time. Um <laughs> I, I I totally agree with you. You know, I, I feel like drag queens do more than just do an impression, you know. And it's because, <clears throat> well, uh, you've commented on it with Joan Rivers, you know, being able to laugh at herself. That's what all drag queens do at all times, you know. Even when we're presenting our most glamorous self, there's still, you know, there's still the joke of, like, it, No matter how glamorous and gorgeous we are, we are still subverting gender norms, you know? We're still doing something that's considered against the grain by still so many people. And we're breaking down those barriers and we're breaking down that presumption that it's a wild and crazy thing for a person to uh, To present in drag the way that we do, but you know, it's it's still there. It's still there's still a lot of the world that thinks we're you know demons sent from. I (laughs) know. I think
1: (laughs) I was doing this photo shoot where I was this like blow up doll latex suit, um, sort and I was sort of dominating myself and Mm -hmm. someone in the middle of the shoot was I was acting as like a human table and they were like, quick, fetch the dildo and the porn, put it on it on her back. <laughs> and then I was like, you know, now we're making art, but at some time <laughs> this would have been, you know, really risque and really like bad. And we maybe would have been arrested for doing that sort of art. Yeah. And so I, I feel like it's, you know, it's, it's wild. And, and those things could still come back around again. You Oh know. yeah.
0: I mean, they're, they're fighting hoof and nail to bring, uh, bring those things back and um, that's what's—I think that's what's so—it's it, it's just this—we're in a very, very interesting time because um, I try my best not to pass judgment on the younger generation of queer people, but I sometimes see younger queer people in very progressive liberal areas— kind of mouthing off about what the older generation should be doing because mm. they're coming from this place of privilege that the older generations never had and I'm right. I, I don't think that I'm part of the older generation I'm somewhere in the middle between these two yeah. um eras but I see I see young people trying to dictate how older queer people are supposed to be queer. And I'm thinking, but they built this for you, (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Um, you know, but like, but they had to live through the hardest moments so that you could have. But then I also see the other side of it. It's like, if we don't call out what we see, we don't make progress. You know, if we don't carve out the path for where we want to go, We can't make progress. So I'm simultaneously torn between like, yes, this is the way of the future, but let's not try to pave over the past.
1: Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Where, how old are you? Where do you fall in, in this? <laughs> I am 39. And so I fall in the place where it was not acceptable as a child, yeah. like in school, to be anything effeminate. And I really am an effeminate person mm-hmm. forever. I've, I've been drawn to beauty and, and makeup and sparkle and dresses and all those things that I was basically taught um, were wrong or bad. And so for the first... Most of my youth and into my teen years, the things I was taught, the things that I like are not the things I should like. And I was always presented at birthdays and Christmas with all these things I should like and other things I wanted, the Mrs. Potato Head, the Barbies, the pink things, all of those things that I, that I liked in my heart, I was taught were bad and not, not for me. And so um, it took a long time to sort of undo and understand all of that conditioning and all those pressures that were put on me. And so I definitely feel like same as you sort of in the middle there where I, I definitely had that, I was on the tail end of, you know, it being totally wrong and bad and, Mm -hmm. and unheard of. And then into this beautiful acceptance of gender and identity and expression and and all its many forms that we have today. So um, yeah, I I was out until I was 25. I was, um, my dad was very homophobic and abusive and uh, it was not, it wasn't safe for me to be gay. Mm -hmm. And um, so, or to be out, Mm -hmm. And so I wasn't able to really come out until I moved across the country to a tiny island as far away from my dad as I could get and into a beautiful community of artists and friends where I was able to, to come out. What tiny island is that? It's called Vancouver Island off the west coast of Canada. <laughs> above Seattle. Your little neighbor. I didn't
0: know Vancouver was an island. Oh, I know nothing about what? geography. I know nothing Jeez, about geography. I'm your fucking neighbor. I live in Portland now, but yeah, you're still pretty much my neighbor. Um I have Seattle to say right away. <laughs> I did a tour um in Canada recently. We only had four stops. It was a little, it was a little mini tour. But at one point, we were on an island, and now I forget even what it was called. Oh, my God. My memory's so bad. Um, It wasn't Toronto. It wasn't, what is it, Newfoundland?
1: (laughs) Okay, you were on the East Coast? You were all the way on the East Coast, maybe? Like, up from um, New York? um, And, like, Newfoundland, New Brunswick, Newfoundland. Oh, my gosh.
0: I'd have to look up the tour to remember where I was, but suffice it to say, I was on a tiny little island at one point, point. and I started this joke on the tour from city to city. I would, um, uh, I would sum up the city in how many rows of grinder profiles you could see, within oh, yeah. like within the city limits before the next row was just a whole town over. Um, right. So there were some two row towns (laughs) there was a four row town and then you know um i think toronto was like a a a 10 row town
1: there's a lot of rows yeah i'm not i suck at doing grinder i play it like a game where i make all the squares gray i do it like make all the squares gray so i either say hello or i block and i turned all starting at the one closest and then i just go along i'm horrible at that i'm just absolutely i probably have never actually hooked up with anybody from grinder i just send 10,000 messages saying hi <laughs> it never works out i don't know why i don't know how to do it how do you do I- grinder
0: I always enjoy my time in Canada. I think probably my favorite is Montreal because I get to Mm. order food in French, which is, um, you know, one of my few ways of showing off anything that's not related to performing, but I turn it into a performance, you know. (laughs) Je voudrais un croissant, s'il te plaît. Croissant.
1: On baguette, par favor.
0: You talked about safety, you know, the, um, it wasn't safe for you to be queer. Um, and that's something I, I think a lot about, um, in, you know, when I have, when I have statements to give about what advice I can give to young people, because even though I went on my little rant about the, the cross-generational clashes right now within the queer community, Mm. I, um, You know, that's said with a grain of salt because uh, even young people who are growing up in safe environments, um, who are able to be queer at a young age, able to express their gender identity, um, you know, even with, like, this growing positivity and acceptance towards our community, you still turn on the TV and see constant—you're inundated constantly with who you're supposed to be— Uh, what what the world thinks you should have been you know um Mm. you don't see your stories or yourself represented on tv very often so you start to feel like you're the only one you know (laughs) yeah i i grew up you know i'm only five years younger than you um So, but I grew up in Portland, Oregon and had a family that was very um, accepting. So I grew up with, you know, like my peers being pretty awful to me at times for my queerness, but still feeling relatively safe and having places to express myself. Um, So, you know, it's still not easy when I, when I think about like that there's more, Privilege for you, for the queer community than there's ever been before. It, that doesn't mean that it's not like still dangerous and scary. And and as we mentioned, you know, um, so many countries are are trying to take us back. Um, America mm-hmm. currently, you know, debating on whether like we're still having the same old goddamn debates. The end. Like, the end with, like, how about the fact that they're human beings and they deserve rights, you know? (laughs) Like, we could go back and forth about what you think about lifestyles, but at the end of the day, isn't this a country where um, you pride yourself on all of our citizens get the same rights and freedoms as every other citizen, and yet we're still debating on whether or not these citizens actually get that, you know? And then... (laughs) And not just queer people, women, (laughs) women, um, 51% of this country um, are being told they can't make decisions for their own bodies by the Supreme Mm -hmm. Court. And so um, anyway, that was a little bit of a rant. Um, But I want to know, like, when you felt safe to be queer, what was that journey like between getting yourself to a safe place away from abuse, away from fear, away from danger. How long after that, before Jimbo was born? Was it immediate? Was it a progression?
1: I know you went to clown school. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it was a progression. So it was basically, um, I wanted to wait until I found love, gay Mm. love. And (laughs) when I, growing up, i didn't really have a lot of gay role models. There wasn't really a lot of gay media. The first gay person I saw on TV was Ellen DeGeneres and her show was canceled right after she came out. Yeah. (laughs) She came back later on. Very
0: strong message.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And so that was, that was something that stuck out in my mind. And, um, also, you know, my mom was very supportive of me all the way growing up. And she mm. she knew um, my brother and I were gay. and <gasps> But she didn't know for sure. But mm. she was, you know, she was always saying, you know, Are you, if you're gay, hon, it's okay. And, you know, it's this and that and the other thing. But I knew that it wasn't actually in terms of my relationship with my father and things. So it, it, I, luckily, I've always had the support of my mom. But at that time... Um, the examples I had of gayness didn't align with who I was. And so it was kind of like, that was the only example I had were these sort of hyper effeminate, really um, sort of stereotypic gay And so when I looked at those and thought, is that me? I thought, no. And um, it wasn't until I fell in love with a man for the first time that I understood, oh, okay, this is love. Mm-hmm. This is that feeling of I can't be without other person. And when I understood that, that's what helped me um, be okay with my gayness is that I, I need this in terms of my happiness in this world. And I was fortunate enough to Um, Once I made that decision that this is who I love and this is how I love I didn't really leave any room for anyone to tell me otherwise when I came out, Uh and my brother my little brother ended up coming out before me, and um, he was really put through it um by my father telling him oh you know you're gay because i hate women and you know it's my fault you're gay and you're not actually gay and what did i do wrong and really screwed with my brother's head around his sexuality and um so that really, I, I saw that happen and I was like, I'm going to wait until I can get away from this person to come out. And um, so it wasn't until I moved out West and I fell in love with my partner at that time, Hank Pine, who is a musician and a performer. And he really introduced me to the theater community out there and the arts community. Mm-hmm. And my dad was really anti arts and really anti um anything that he could construe as being gay. And so he was very intent on me being a doctor and on me working in science. And so um, it wasn't until I moved at West, I really sort of got to explore my artistic side. I got to work in theater and Um, It was through my friend Britt Small and Atomic Vaudeville, which is a vaudeville troupe in Victoria, that I was able to start performing. And that's when I was introduced to Clown. And Clown is all about truth and expression in the moment. And that's when I started to weave in the feminine side of myself. Mm -hmm. And I started started with my very first clown was um, a grotesque, like buffon clown of my evil ex stepmother that had um, tortured me. And I allowed myself to be an ugly woman because that, um, felt okay for me at that time it felt very um, very comedic at that time I wasn't really able to accept the idea of being beautiful or actually investing into this idea of being totally feminine and it wasn't until I started to clown and perform as a clown in drag that I started to allow myself to be beautiful and allow myself to try and feel beautiful and and the more i did that it was a feedback loop from my community and my audience and my family that saw how much joy and growth there was for me in the style of performance and everyone rallied behind me and were like this is amazing and we love this and so it was this beautiful turning point where my work as an artist combined with my community and my family and my friends and everyone really encouraged me to go deeper and um then I went on Canada's Drag Race and that's really um, sort of that turning point of I was really not concerned with beauty if you look at my makeup journey (laughs) at that time I was like more about vibe style character and then through my critiques and then through just being a professional drag queen I was able to improve my makeup looks and now I'm I can say I'm I'm definitely much more beautiful than I was before.
0: Wow, that story sounds so familiar to someone else I know. <laughs> um, Jimbo, I just relate to so much of what you said. Um, and what, uh, like, I feel like, okay, so I went to acting school. And one thing that they taught us was, um, and I think this was one of the more valuable lessons that I paid for, you know, because um, <laughs> when you go to acting school and you're and you're paying university prices, uh, there's a lot of stuff that you're like, okay, well, uh, if I could have itemized this, maybe I wouldn't have taken this class. But no, um, I really enjoyed my my acting school experience, but. Um, one of the more valuable lessons I was taught was that there's uh, there's always multiple ways to get into a character. You can start with the form and let the external inform the internal, or you can start with the internal and let that inform the external. So, um, I, I, uh, you know, it's like... Um, but they have to inform each other, you know. Um, yeah. The in, the inner mind of the character has to inform the physicality of the character and the aesthetic and the um, the external of the character and vice versa. Mm. But you can start on either end and find your way to the other side. Um, and what I loved in my clown training, which I don't know if you knew that, but I, um, I, I didn't know that. I had Comedia del Arte clown training in acting school, and it vastly um, informed and improved my drag because I had been doing drag probably about six or seven years by the time I was taking clown class. And. Wow it changed everything for me because yeah. it was like what I was already doing, but it showed me how to do it like efficiently, quickly, and effectively. Um, mm. And, um, my, my, f- Uh, You know, Jinx had already existed, but Jinx has become much more informed by my clown training. But my first, um, well, I haven't created a clown persona since school, but my clown's name was Zetter Redgeddon Padoshky Von (laughs) Bissen. Which just sounds so stupid to say out loud. But um, Zetter was a very effeminate, like um, uh, rich, spoiled brat and Ooh. was a high-status clown who, of course, then has to be the butt of the joke at the end. Yeah. Um, and um, my clown partner, arlotzi was... Uh, my friend Jeremy, in his form, uh, Miger, and <laughs> um, and he was a low-status clown who just wanted pie, and I was a high-status clown who thought he was a dog and was trying to train him like a dog and was using <laughs> pie as the reward, and then, of course, in the end, the pie is in my face. Um, <laughs> so I think I think if I could... Okay, if I could start a scholarship program where drag queens go through Commedia del Arte clown training. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Like an X Men um, Professor Xavier drag queen clown school. <laughs> I'd have I you be one that. of the professors and yes. and we could improve the world of drag by teaching them clowning
1: um <laughs> I would love that I would love that like people ask me all the time what what is my advice for drag? drag queens up and coming drag queens and it's really about finding what brings you joy Mm -hmm. and sharing that joy and I find the clown is this perfect um meeting place of getting yourself off and really listening to what your audience wants Mm -hmm. and that as a drag performer people are looking for ways to be individual and what are are ways that we are different from each other and um that can only come from within and from with d- discovering what it is about you and your self-expression that you want to share and so I would love for more drag queens to to even realize that they're clowns I find a lot of drag queens don't even realize that they're clowning when they are and I yeah you know I try to tell people as often as I can when I meet another clown I go you are a clown yeah and they're like oh, really I am and you can tell they're like oh how dare you? And I'm like, no, it's a compliment and lean into it and find it and share it because it's a way of dealing with everything in the world, which is so real. And that's what people gravitate towards is seeing someone's truth and, and being able to laugh at that with them.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned another thing that, um, I really relate to, and I think is, uh, another beautiful thing of not only being a drag performer, but being someone who skews towards comedy, um, which I hope, I hope you don't take umbrage with that. Um, <laughs> me assuming that you skewed towards comedy. Um, but everything,
1: everything <laughs> to me.
0: But um, you mentioned uh, creating a character out of your evil stepmother. And yeah. um I that really resonates with me because basically, all of Jinx Monsoon is a place, she is this vessel where I put everything bad that's ever happened to me and turn it into something yeah. funny. Yeah, and there's actually been a lot of like, you know, um, I was open and honest on season five of Drag Race about uh, uh, tumultuous times between me and my mother. And I was very lucky because I was raised by my mom and my grandma and my aunt. I had a trio of women who raised me uh, like a little coven. And um, Uh they never would have called themselves witches, but my my moms were witches you know like yeah. <laughs> my mom too <laughs> <laughs> they were too you know they were too conditioned by catholicism to ever um call themselves witches but that's that's what they were and that's mm-hmm. uh, that's how i was raised um but uh you know i had a very tumultuous time with my mother um from 10 to 20 five, basically. It was a, a long gap of uh, of us having a really rough time in our relationship. Um, and now, I was so scared the first time my mom came to see one of my scripted shows, because she had seen me do drag shows, and she had seen me do my um, vaudeville show with my music partner, which is heavily scripted, but it's all fictional. But the first time she saw me perform one of my scripted shows where it was written from real life experiences. I was terrified because she was going to see me telling stories about how she ruined Christmas and Ah, (laughs) the trauma that she put me through as a kid. And people are going to laugh at it because I've turned it into something funny. Um, And I remember one of the most, um, because I'm highly anxious. I'm highly Uh, riddled with anxiety all the time Mm -hmm. but one of the moments of relief that I got in my life was my mom just saying well I'm just so glad you can turn bad memories into something funny that might help other people in their own bad memories and I was like oh my god she actually sees exactly what I'm doing and she gets it and she essentially just gave her blessing
1: (laughs) yeah my mom too
0: yeah. yeah what was very your similar you said your mother was very supportive and um and you've also said she was a witch. Tell us a little bit about your mom.
1: <laughs> well, my parents were basically alcoholics that mm-hmm. went through um a period of being wealthy and then we went from being rich to being very poor mm-hmm. and so it's a lot of my drag is. Is sort of based around my mom. My mom, like in the 80s, she wore like big fur coats. She wore these like mm-hmm. big fancy dresses. She always wore heels. She always had long nails. She had big breasts. She had breast implants and she still has them. And she was all about glamour and um and she has always just says, like, I'm really sorry, hun, for the 80s. Like she said the 80s were a hell of a time. And um Yeah, the 80s and 90s were really hard for my family. And my dad, my mom uh, is sober. Today is her 31st anniversary of sobriety. Wow,
0: congrats, Mother Jimbo.
1: (laughs) Mama Mary Bear. And so today is her anniversary, 31 years sober. And that was the biggest gift she's ever given to me, ever. And my dad died of alcoholism two years ago. And so um, my mom has always been Um, this beautiful supportive angel who is all about um, setting up shrines. She's all about positive Mm -hmm. thinking. She's all about, she's really taught me about the universe. She's taught me about gratitude. She's taught me about intention. She's taught me about um, all of these things, which are so meaningful and important to me. Gratitude is such a huge part of being someone that is on the receiving end of so much love and so much joy and so much opportunity. Mm -hmm. My biggest thing I do is to be grateful for all of that. And um, she has a wonderful sense of humor and she can see how ridiculous, damaging, sad, and crazy my childhood was and she, she can also see the humor in it which is so important for us to be able to laugh at our pain and mm-hmm. she like you and your mom she's definitely kind of like oh wow so people are going to hear about these stories and people are going <laughs> to see these stories and people are going to you know see my expression of these personal past." and mm-hmm. but she has you know, along the same lines, it's just thank God that you are okay. Thank God that you're able to laugh at these things and grateful that I'm able to share my experience so that I might help other people who have been through crazy childhoods and crazy family experiences. And so, yeah, a lot of my drag is, is kind of therapy. It's kind of like (laughs) exercising the things that happened to me and sharing those things through a sense of humor. So
0: Yeah. yeah, my mom is amazing and I love her. That's wonderful. I'm, I'm sorry to hear of your dad's passing, um, but
1: it's, oh God.
0: you know. It's I'm going to a-
1: tell that story one day. It's a wild, <laughs> wild story what that man did. He was a complete psychopath, but um, it'll make a good book one day. And, <laughs> and I survived. I like to say I was burnished in the flames of hell. And it's really um, helped me find joy and mm-hmm. seek joy and that's what i i do in most situations is find the joy and joy is a choice and i have really saw that in my dad's life yeah. and so i i really have chosen light i've chosen joy and i've chosen to um really take all that darkness and sadness in my path and and try to laugh at it and share it
0: Jimbo 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 um i also you know i have to say that I, I i relate to your story of like you know um you were a vibe queen through drag race through your profession you're you're now comfortable embracing your glamour and your beauty i think um i don't even remember if it aired but i know that at some point ruPaul was like you know, Jinx, we're consistently asking you to bring glamour to the runway, um, to adjust your makeup. I'm just wondering what's blocking you from it. And I was like, well, I just, I think that I am, I guess. And also, you know, like, I've always liked being kind of tacky and being kind of, like, uh, disheveled looking. Like, that's, like, what I like my character to look like. And she was like... I think she was saying something like, Yeah, well, do that, but do it glamorously. You know? Like like if you're gonna do tacky, do drag tacky, take it to the Mm. drag level. And I think she even like referenced Adina Monsoon from Abfab as like, you know, like Right. If you're going to do it, like if you're going to do tacky, yeah. wear designer tacky, you know, mm. like or something, <laughs> something like that. And something unlocked in me. And, um, you know, I really love the way that I look today. And I still feel like I'm very true to my aesthetic, but I also don't scare people. Uh, <laughs> um, As much. As much. Yeah. Um, I have to say... Um, You know, I'm sure you're sick of talking about it, so we won't beat it to death. But the baloney monster, I mean, talk about bringing clown to the RuPaul's Drag Race main stage. You know, I can't think of a better example of marrying what you do as a drag queen and what you do as a clown than that fucking baloney monster. I mean, <laughs> was was there one... Mom, you spe- hungry? <laughs> was there one specific source of inspiration for that? Or did it just come to you in a fever dream?
1: So that comes from my vaudeville troupe back home, Atomic mm-hmm. Vaudeville. And I, I would be brought in as the special character. Sometimes I'm terrible at rehearsals. I'm terrible at... um sitting around in rehearsal processes. And so I fortunately, they would just sort of give me a character and then just say, show up on the day. And you can just do your special little character. And so they asked me, it was part of the Scooby-Doo number um, where, you know, there were some sort of haunted foil or something. And so they said, <laughs> could, you, could you play a Casper in this bit? And so then this was my interpretation of Casper was this was that sort of like crazy, weird shape. And then I had that big belly and For some reason, there's something about bologna, which is so comical to me. It was like Mm. growing up, I had to, you know, my dad loved bologna. He was, Uh. he did have some money, but he was really a poor little war child. And that was this vestige from his youth. He would buy this loaf that sat in the fridge. Uh. It was the size of a loaf of bread. And it was bologna with macaroni mixed into it. Uh. and (laughs) And he would slice it in these thick slices. And it was so disgusting. And as we didn't have any choice over the groceries, so we Mm -hmm. had to make the best of it. And so my sister taught me to microwave the bologna and it would turn dark brown and it would sort of crisp up. Mm -hmm. And then you could sort of peel the outside and then keep microwaving it and turning it darker brown. And so there was just something around like playing with your food and the Mm -hmm. food being this sort of like processed, weird frisbee thing. I just never really moved past it. And so bologna, it became this thing to me that was kind of. Comical that was like a food item that was both a, a food thing, but also a prop because it's so kind of durable and you can really throw it around. And somehow, I'm not really sure why I became cast for the bloney ghost, but. <laughs> It just it just stuck. And so I put baloney inside and I birthed my baloney and I and I would the trick was I juggle it and I throw it and it sticks to the costume. Mm-hmm. It sticks to my head, it sticks on my body. And then I just started to throw it into the audience. And um, Casper the baloney ghost was born. And it was as soon as I started to do it, I noticed that like families loved it, like mothers <laughs> loved it, children loved it. It wasn't <laughs> just my gay weirdo friends that loved it. It was somehow. Loved by everybody. It was a universal weird thing. It was like this combination of some a bit nostalgia, a bit of creepiness. But when you meet the character, you can tell you're not in danger. It's like a fun, Mm -hmm. fun loving Mm -hmm. sort of youthful kind of vibe to it. So I think it just plays on all these different points that are attractive to people. And some for some reason. So when I knew I want I would have this opportunity to showcase something other than drag on RuPaul's Drag Race, I really wanted to open up what we see on that show in terms of drag kings or in terms of drag clowns and in terms of things other than presenting um as feminine yeah and so I wanted to to open that door and also as a performer now touring Casper the drag clown in drag um shows I'm starting to open up other weaving other forms of performance into drag presentations, Mm -hmm. which I think is really important as we all sort of realize there's a lot more performance style out there beyond just drag, um, or drag Queens. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important to really give space to all of the other types of performance that are out there and really find ways to involve them and showcase them. And so I'm hoping that it's a weird little gateway for other, um, weirder forms of performance to enter into the drag world
0: well kudos i think it's brilliant that you're doing that and um the more we the more we open it up you know i've i've said this many times but um i think what we need is just more of everything you know um Mm -hmm. you know of course I'd love to see drag kings on Drag Race. I'd love to see um, more variations on, uh, you know, differently gendered, differently um, presenting drag artists, you know, more 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 but also i more, say more. <laughs> also i say that we need more shows you know than just drag race because it can't all fall on the shoulders of one thing and you know we have dragula yes. and um we're starting to see more and more drag stuff pop up but i think um it was it's a quote from the the documentary Disclosure, which is all about trans representation in the media. Um, and someone says, what we need is just an abundance of this representation so that when someone makes a misstep or when someone, um, you know, w- when there's something not great, you know, it doesn't ruin everything. It doesn't bring the whole mm. system <laughs> crashing down because... Because then there's five other examples of the right thing, you know. Um, yeah. And it's you know it was that way for so long that like if trans people were represented in the media at all, they were either the butt of a joke or they were mm. the villain or they were someone evil. Yeah. Um, and there are
1: tricks there.
0: Yeah. So an abundance of drag. Is how we keep taking drag further, and how we keep um, keep uh, keep this art form alive, so the bubble doesn't pop. Um. <laughs>
1: And also I, I think it's about showing other people that it's okay to be different and weird because it's such a risk to do a drag personally for, mm-hmm. the, for the performer. I feel like sometimes people gravitate to what they've already seen because it feels mm-hmm. safe. They're like, okay, that's a, that person did it and it's acceptable for them to do it that way. So if I emulate that, what I'm doing is acceptable. And I think it will be great for for more people to realize that it's all acceptable and it's all good, as long as it's bringing you joy and you're sharing that joy. Um, you know, let your freak flag fly, show us something we haven't seen before. And that, I think we need more of that. We need more people taking risks and showing us who they are individually. Yeah.
0: <sighs> Not just drag queens, in uh, everyday human beings. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and and that's like the best added bonus of being a drag queen on television is, you know, we're doing it because this is what we love and this is how we, you know, put our art out into the world. And then we also have this added bonus of getting to help people incorporate drag into their own lives or incorporate the spirit of drag yeah. or or the mentality of drag into their own lives. And, um, you know, people always say, not people always say, why do I? I shouldn't speak in absolutes. But um, oftentimes people tell me like, you inspired me to do this. And I like to remind mm-hmm. them that like, actually, you know, the power is inside you. <laughs> yeah. Like um, drag might like kind of ignite the spark, but he, you know, each human being has the the capability of doing miraculous things. Um, And finding inspiration somewhere is wonderful, but remember that, you know, it only happens because of the power you put into it. So, um, I don't want this conversation to end before we um, talk about uh, you are in a Twelve year relationship, am I correct? And you raised
1: kids? <laughs> no, we're, it's. I think it's about eight or eight or nine years. Oh, so sorry, 12, eight or Sorry nine. for um
0: uh, aging you further. <laughs> yeah,
1: so it's yeah. We've been together with Brady Taylor. We've been together for I think just just over eight years. Maybe it's going on nine years. Mm. Um, I guess that's the same thing. But anyways, we have um braiding his ex-partner Doug who's a big part of our lives they adopted two beautiful children Cassandra and Alex and I was fortunate enough to come into their lives when they were quite small and young mm-hmm. and so I've had um the I also helped raise my niece uh, my two nephews mm-hmm. and also my niece as well through my my sisters. so I've had this fortune of of really helping raise a few people and um, but most recently and actively as Cassandra and Alex and mm-hmm. they're teenagers now and they are just so um lovely and beautiful and smart and intelligent and just cool people. And it's really um a fun twist for me now to be an internationally known drag performer because I, you know, this is the age where all of a sudden everyone becomes kind of uncool and kind mm-hmm. of um, you know, you they want to roll their eyes at you and mm-hmm. you're they're, you know basically you're just not cool but this being a drag queen and rupaul's drag race has given me that little bit of an edge where their fan their friends are fans of mine and you know that kind of is a bit embarrassing for them they don't like the attention and they don't really tell them until the friends are over and they're like what's all the jimbo stuff around (laughs) and and then they'll be like yeah you know, Jimbo's my stepdad, and their friends are like, "What? Like, like what the hell? Like, why did not you tell me?" And they're, and they're pretty shy about it, but they are just so cool. And um, they've grown up around my me and my tits and my weirdness and my <laughs> expression and my fashion, and and seeing my work ethic. And I think it's been really positive for them. And and they, yeah, they've seen me perform a bunch of times, and they think it's pretty funny. So
0: that's wonderful. Yeah. Um I have a niece um who will be turning 8 this summer and she's a big Jinx fan um but she she kind of doesn't give a shit about the fact that I'm on drag race she cares mm. that I'm on YouTube because she's okay. at the age where they okay. watch everything on YouTube and they're not watching yeah. like they're not watching full episodes of things they're watching clips of things and um right. she doesn't really get that uh that anyone could be on YouTube <laughs> she thinks it's a big deal that I'm on youtube and um i uh she is also um the last time I saw her because um she lives elsewhere in the country and she comes for the summers. but the last time I saw her um we were going out for our um uh, she calls me Uncle Jinx, <laughs> so she calls me by my drag name, but calls me Uncle. Which, yeah. um, she's the only person in the world I would like call me Uncle. But um, <laughs> she she called me Auntie Jinx as a as a kid, and she still calls me Auntie Jinx when I'm in drag. But um, I don't know when she made the switch to Uncle, but it, it felt okay, um, so I, I I allowed it. Uh, <laughs> but um, We'll, we'll sometimes be out in public, and we'll be ordering food at a restaurant, and I'll be, like, talking to the cashier, and then she'll, like, say, do you think do you think he knows who you are? And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know, Chloe. If, if they didn't bring it up, we don't bring it
1: up, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. Uh,
0: <laughs> and then one time we were in an Uber, and I had— taught her, like, if they don't bring it up, we don't bring it up. And then she goes, my uncle's very... Oh, never mind. Never mind. (laughs) And then the driver was like, "Um, uh, what were you saying? And Chloe says something like, well, my uncle's very well known on the internet, but we don't talk about it. And I was like, way to make me sound like a porn star, (laughs) Chloe. (laughs) Um, Which... uh, (laughs) Uh, uh, just cracks me up to no end. Um, kids are amazing. And when I see my niece be so receptive to everything that, you know, like I taught her about they, them pronouns um, on one of her visits. And she seemed so bored with the topic and like she didn't give a shit mm. um, because, you know, it was kind of like her uncle lecturing her on gender right. politics. <laughs> and then... Um, then I heard later that she went home and told my brother's girlfriend about they, them pronouns. Like she, oh, she then taught um, my brother's girlfriend about it. And I was like, oh, she retained the information and now she's teaching other people about it. Kids yes. are amazing. Bigotry yeah. is taught. Um, <laughs> yes. uh, bigotry is Yo, not it, natural, it, it's taught to kids. Exactly. I
1: yeah, know it's amazing because. Like, Sandra and Alex, it's amazing hearing how they are just about teasing and about um, the way that they are at school, about bullying. It's so different when from when we were in, in school and when we were younger. There was just absolutely nothing to do with education around bullying or teasing. It was just rampant. And nowadays, it's just amazing to hear how the environments at school are just so much more open and safer for kids. It's just absolutely incredible.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I had to deal with being called um the f slur every day um in high school and i was told just to ignore it and yeah. um you know Water that there was has only a back. yeah and there was only so much we could do um but now i hear from uh, younger people who went to the same high school as me that there's a zero tolerance policy first time calling someone an f slur you're you're out of there and i'm like wow Like, why was that so hard to do 10 years ago? (laughs) I have compulsory questions that I ask every guest of mine um which does mean that we are coming to the end of our um, conversation but it's been so lovely do you have anything that you would like to plug i i know you have a music video called free and horny um a parody of all the famous celebrity sex tapes <laughs> and you yeah. also appeared in joseph shepherd's um Debut music video, who is the producer of this very podcast.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Sexy Joseph with the thunder thighs.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Do you have anything else you'd Um, like listeners to know about? Yeah,
1: like I have a new, my EP is coming out later this summer. It's four songs called Life's Work. And which is kind of a, you know, tongue in cheek because how much um, effort and time it's taken to just make four songs happen with my musical partner, Andrew Fields, Andrew Taylor. So um, yeah, I have one that's just come out called Angel. It's a love song about my partner, Brady. And then I have a song coming out in a few weeks about my cat that passed called Stitch. And it's like a beautiful song where I sing um, in sort of cat language to my dead cat. (laughs) And um, touching i cry almost every time i hear it and then the final song is is wink and it's another um love song kind of this parody and so yeah my new songs and then my website, house of Jimbo.com. It's I'm making merch and it's my dream to have a clothing label. And so I've been dabbling um with having a, a factory in Pakistan that I'm working with, creating designs and and having um clothing made that I'm able to sell. So I'm really excited about that.
0: Well congratulations, Jimbo the drag clown. Uh,
1: <laughs> um Jinxy. Uh,
0: I have to say, you know, when i was when I was younger um death was so um, abundant with the pets in my family, like we sure. had a terrible track record with pets oh my God, me too. and I became yeah. very desensitized to pets dying um yes. now, as an adult, I have two cats and um my familiar Tildy, a black <laughs> moody cat um Aww. she you know, she's such a bitch and she walks around like she owns the place and I just love her so much. And she's uh-huh. only like four, but I I'll pick her up sometimes oh, and like dread the day that she's not in my life anymore. And it's like that's a that's mm-hmm. a while away, but I'm like Yeah, it's a while away. I suddenly know what all those songs are about, you know.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm sorry I know, to hear yeah, I had it. I'm sorry to hear of, was the cat's name Stitch? Is that why this song? Yeah. I'm sorry to hear it. Yeah, of she was
1: murdered by song. a car.
0: Uh, are you going to find the car and avenge her death? Slash the tires? I
1: wanted to. I really wanted to. Instead, <laughs> so I just wrote a beautiful song to her. Hey. On the other side. Turning
0: trauma into drama. Um, <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: These are your compulsory questions. Answer however you'd like. Okay. Who is your celebrity crush today?
1: My celebrity crush to the day is going to be um, Elvira.
0: Elvira, I, I, I mean, that makes perfect sense to me.
1: She's also a drag clown
0: <laughs> with huge tits. Yes, she is. She is. <laughs> My celebrity crush today is Natasha Leone, who I just yeah. experienced a very big week. She was first on the Snatch ah. Game, and then she was hosting SNL. So.
1: <laughs> 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 and so are you guys friends?
0: Yeah, you know, acquaintance friends. We've we've interacted a handful of times. She's always been one. Wonder- I, I I don't want to be too presumptuous and be like, oh yeah, we go right. way back. But um, no, she. Uh, we have a lot of mutual friends, and she's always incredibly kind to me. And I got to study her voice in person. So, um,
1: wow. Uh, just yeah you sweet. absolutely nailed her and <laughs> so has she contacted you to tell you like she loves you and that was so funny or anything
0: um I mean you know she tweeted about it and uh um um I uh I texted her about it but she was just doing SNL and that's like a full that's yeah. like a full 24-7 schedule so um you know oh my god and not everyone's great at texting I'm a textaholic but it's so funny is like, I will text my heart out and then go completely like dark for days. Um, Me too. <laughs> I think I, it's, I, it's a celebrity thing. From,
1: <laughs> it is. Yeah. I enter text sometimes like three years later, four years
0: later. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, everyone hates it in my life. Um, yeah. Next question is, are you spiritual?
1: I am spiritual in a sort of like witchy spelly kind of way whereas um i believe in energy i believe in the universe i believe in um a connectivity and a mm. certain sense of like um like some sort of oneness i, I don't um necessarily believe in um any sort of religion and I definitely don't believe in any of the shame, darkness, punishment, uh, evil kind of things that go along with that. I, I believe in magic. I believe in beauty. I believe in gratitude, good fortune, and joy. And so those all sort of weave together in my understanding of spirituality.
0: Beautifully said, Jimbo.
1: <laughs> <Thank you. laughs>
0: my final question for you is um what is your go-to karaoke song
1: Ooh, my go-to karaoke song lately i have been singing um the fuck is that one sometimes i sing crete by radiohead mm-hmm. sometimes i like to sing that one as casper actually um, <laughs> And then sometimes I sing Black Hole Sun by Soundgarden Mm -hmm. because I don't know, I love that like 90s angsty like screamy vibe of it. Sometimes I sing some Coldplay Mm -hmm. um, because I love a good sort of ballad um, come
0: up to meet you tell you I'm tell sorry. You sorry. don't know yeah. how lovely you are uh. <laughs> oh god the Bloody way yeah. that song used to make me cry
1: <laughs> uh, god no kidding right and so what about you what's your go to karaoke song
0: um stray cat strut also oh, creep yeah um crazy by patsy klein and then um when i'm really feeling myself um i'll do me and bobby mcgee um janice joplin and i'll do the full voice and everything and um oh. but that has to be on a night i'm like not working later or not working the next day because doing janice really shreds the vocal cords, you know <laughs> Oh, my God. I bet. <laughs> Not like doing Natasha. Doing <laughs>
1: Natasha. <laughs>
0: Well, thank you so much for being my guest today from um, an unseasonably sunny UK.
1: <laughs> it's gorgeous out. The there's, sun is setting.
0: There's ominous clouds, so but there's odd. more blue sky than I think I've ever seen. Maybe it's because you're up so high. <laughs> you're yes, up above up the, in the clouds.
1: Penthouse. <laughs> yeah, no, it is, it is beautiful here right now. I'm so, I just love it. I'm so grateful. Thanks, Baga, for letting me <laughs> stay here.
0: Thanks, babes. Well, thank you and so much. And thank you. Uh, thank oh, you very Thank you. Thank
1: you. thank you. No, I'm such a huge fan of yours. And I must say that it it was watching you in season five that really did um, resonate so much with me and my understanding of drag and, and understanding of performance. And you're just such a huge inspiration to me. And well, all of you that so much. feeling. Came right back again, watching your season airing right now. <laughs> um, it's just, it's so wonderful just to see your growth and inspiring to just see you kill it and look so fucking beautiful.
0: At the oh, same time. thank you. I'm terrible at accepting compliments. So I'm just going to say thank you and close out this episode. But
1: <laughs> but I, know, truly. I used to make a horrible face when I would ever get a compliment. I would make this horrible face. I'd go... Because I was so not good at taking it. My mom was like, Can you please stop making that horrible face when someone compliments you? Just say thank you. I was like, Okay.
0: I've trained myself to stop doing um, what I used to do, which was someone would give me a compliment and I'd go, yeah, but you know, actually that day I kind of messed up or, and then it just sounded like I was like fishing for even more compliments. Right. Um, so now my <laughs> MO is to just say thank you and move on yeah, or, yeah. Um, or then compliment the other person. And so let me just say copy and paste all the sweet things you said about me back onto oh. you, because this conversation oh, really? has been delightful. Watching oh. you on television has been a joy and um uh-uh. and and um feeling like you and I uh, overlap in certain ways in the in the drag yeah. multiverse
1: um i yeah. can't
0: I can't think of a lovelier person to overlap with in many ways,
1: so. Me too. My witchy sissy.
0: And thank you all so much for listening to Hi Jinx here on the Forever Dog and Moguls of Media Network. My name is Jinx Monsoon, and we have new episodes every Wednesday. So make sure to search for Hi Jinx on your favorite podcast app and hit subscribe. You can follow me at The Jinx on Instagram or at Jinx Monsoon everywhere else. And I'll see you next Wednesday for some more. Hi, Jinx. Hi, hi. Hi, hi Jinx. Hi, <laughs> hi, Jinx. Bye, Jinx. Bye,
1: Jimbo. <laughs> M. Oh. M. Mom.
0: To listen to Hi Jinx One Day Early and ad-free, sign up for Mom Plus at mompodcasts.plus. Hi Jinx is produced by Moguls of Media, aka Mom, hosted by me, Jinx Monsoon, and produced by Joseph Shepard. Editing and sound design by Will Pitts, executive produced by Willem Belli, Alaska Thunderfuck, Big Dipper, and Joe
1: Silio.